before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Test, test, test. This Hello. is Keith every Thursday when we're sure. recording. Uh, just want to thank everyone first and foremost for coming out. Uh, the support is, is very, truly humbling. And, uh, you know, people have come far and wide across the country, so we definitely appreciate it. Um, also want to thank our sponsors, BMO ETFs, uh, Canadian Western Bank, and Greater Vancouver Tenant and Property Management, LTD. Um, very, very, hum very good people that have made this event possible, so um, yeah, let's jump into it. Hello. We didn't do a mic test. <laughs> you want to test that, Blue? <laughs> yeah, we're ready to go. So what you guys don't realize, we'll be doing this every week on, on the Zoom, <laughs> I think it is. On Thursday. <laughs> on Thursday. Uh, Steve always, you know, we're looking at each other and we, we get a film and he always says, hey, like, how was your week? What was going on? And with coming to Vancouver, you know, obviously we're excited to come out. But I kept saying to Steve, send me the list. I want to see who's coming. I, I might know a few people. So, you know, finally after asking him eight or nine times, he sends the list because he struggles with technology sometimes. And uh, I get the list and the first name I see on it is this guy, Keith Acton. And I'm just so excited. I called Steve imme immediately and Rich, I said, Keith Acton is coming. He said, yeah. And I said, he played in the NHL for 16 years. He played with the Oilers, the Canadians, the Flyers. I'm going out to the whole list. So excited to be Keith Acton. Then Steve says to me, he goes, Keith, it's not that Keith Acton. It's Keith Acton, my accountant. <laughs> I should add Keith Acton, our accountant, who now runs some of the Looney Hour uh, Media's uh, accounting. So Keith, uh, who's actually here, ironically enough, uh, we do love you. What? So we got the, uh, the boomer all the way from Halifax. What's going is on? Is your mic working? We always, that's the other thing we always do. We make sure that the boomer's mic is working because it never is. <laughs> yeah, so, Keith, uh, the, the Pinot Noirs were flowing last night. Yeah. We went out for a nice dinner. Um, you, you, you put me in a spin cycle last night. <laughs> <laughs> and then we wake up this morning and we had, you know, we're, when we first schedule the, the, the event tonight, you have no idea what's gonna happen in the markets. And like the fear is that there's nothing going on. So then we had to listen to Rich give us some, you know, very exciting data points that doesn't matter on a lot of things. But yeah, it's gonna be a really good conversation tonight because over the last 48 hours, we had the Americans and the Fed come out with data, the GDP number was out, the Europeans did the European thing, the Bank of Japan sort of shocked everyone later on today. So we've got a lot of great things to talk about and why don't we just get going here? Yeah, we've got, uh, you know, interesting enough that we're here, we've had a cabinet shuffle. <laughs> uh, reshuffle, a cabinet reshuffle. reshuffle on the housing front, if anyone's been following along. Uh, interesting, so we talked about it on the Looney Hour podcast a couple weeks ago, but there was a, the housing minister here in Canada uh, God bless him. Wrote this op-ed, which we which we totally made fun of. Which is this is the biggest flaming pile of shit I've ever seen, <laughs> and basically said, 
you know, basically sort of blaming the opposition and saying, you know, don't follow your housing plan. We've got this. Don't blame us. Don't blame the municipalities. He's now out. So unsurprisingly, Twitter destroyed him. Uh, I don't know who is his PR team. So the housing minister for Canada is now out. But ironically enough, his replacement is a guy named Sean Fraser, who I would consider the arsonist in the housing file. He uh, is responsible for our population growing 1.2 million people last year. So this guy just opened up the floodgates. We already had a housing crisis, a shortage, I would argue. And uh, so he opened the door to a million people. He's now in charge of the housing fund. <laughs> so, so you're going long housing. <laughs> well, the arsonist has become the firefighter. And uh, I just don't think you can script this enough. Like, it's really amazing. I think these guys just, the lip, this, and again, I'm not trying to get political, but like these guys just, they can't get out of their own way. Yeah. Who's running <laughs> the PR <show>. team? <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure there's a few realtors here tonight and Is you guys it? are happy, so it's gonna... Yeah. <laughs> but no, Keith, but running. Steve, you're gonna tell us how you're gonna, un, you're gonna change your mind about something. I think you should get into that. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, everyone wants to know on the housing front to think like, you know, if you're day trading houses, uh, I, think, I think I've done a pretty good job. Uh, I know most people aren't day trading houses, but it, there was a conversation that we had, which was, what was it, January? I said, I think this might be the bottom. You called the bottom. And Come on. We, we, no, we had it. We had it. We had a, we had a really large rip and I'm ready. I'm, I'm pulling a Tiff Macklin and I'm unpausing uh -oh. and, I'm, and I'm, I'm thinking that we might have potentially another leg down now. So what are the drivers there for you? The short, I mean, are we other than, we know what the positive drivers are, so, which is the, you know, one point, whatever, two million people, 3.14% um, population growth. But what are the, so what's, what's changing your mind? We had, I think the big thesis of like coming into this year, right? Like mortgage rates towards the end of last year were five and a half percent. Everyone's panicking, rates are still going up. Tiff Macklin comes out in either January or February, says, listen, we're done, we're going on, on, on a pause. Mortgage, uh, bond yields start to fall. You get your fixed mortgage rates down to about 4.6, 4.7%. Everybody feels good. It goes from five and a half to four, seven. It might go down to four, three, four, two, and we're back into the threes at some point later in the summer. And everything looks good, feels good, and we can get over this. And now all of a sudden, you know, we've had Tiff unpause, so two rate hikes. You've had bond yields pushing higher, which we're going to get into tonight. Uh, and you've got mortgage rates back in the sixes. And I've had conversations uh, today and yesterday uh, with several of the large Canadian banks telling me that as of tomorrow, Friday, uh, we're raising our fixed rates again, another 15 basis points. So, you know, two of the big five Canadian banks, so the others will follow. And so, you know, now we're pushing up to 610, 615, 620. Can you and, tell us a story about your friend? Yeah, yeah. So like, and so like the big thesis I think is ultimately that, you know, it is it is proving to be surprising that rates are going back up, and then I think that this is ultimately it's it's, it's rates are too high. I disagree, but keep going. Well, no, but no, but I'm saying like 20, 20 year highs in rates. Yeah, but from zero, dude. You know my feelings. But Everyone knows my feelings. I, no, no, I'm just saying. Like, look at look at how. Okay, I mean, look at house prices today versus 20 years ago, and you have the same mortgage rate. Yeah, and higher debt levels. And higher, it doesn't it doesn't work. And so, like the thesis, I'd say, like coming into this year, it's like, okay, well, if you're down to four seven, four six, four five, 
you could probably get out of this and rel relatively unscathed. And now you're, you're going back up, which just means ultimately higher look for longer. So maybe rates come down in 12 months from now, but ultimately there's a lot more pain. So, you know, I had a, just numerous conversations and then there's a bunch of realtors in this crowd, they can probably attest to this, but you know, I had a conversation today with a friend of mine and uh, you know, she calls me, she's a little bit stressed out and says, you know, what should I do? I had a variable rate mortgage um, you know, I'm by myself, got a one bedroom condo. I've got a variable rate mortgage. I was paying $1,500 a month. I've got a TD floater. I'm now arbitrarily been raising my payments and raising my payments. The bank's saying you gotta lock in, but you gotta do it by Monday. And we've, hold, we've held a rate for, at 5.4%. You have until Monday. And she's like, what do I do? Do I lock this in for, for the next three years at 5.4, the highest rates in 20 years? and my payment will go from 1500 a month to 2700 a month. It's a lot of money, $1,200 for a single individual living in the city as their grocery prices are going up, as their cost of living is going up. And so you, I just said to her, it's like, well, you, you start multiplying this across an entire country. You, you know, she, I think I would argue that she's in her part of her career where her salary is going up. She's ambitious. She's going to continue to grow. But there's, I said, what about a family of, Five, three kids, blue collar worker, where you get an extra 1500 bucks a month plus your food bill, it, it's, it's, just, it's not gonna work. And so my thesis is ultimately that, uh, I think right now what we're seeing is housing is slowing down materially and what's underpinning it is a lack of inventory. So there's a lot of things in there to unpack, of course. Um, so, I mean, from, from the housing perspective, it's, is this just, you, you said you're gonna have a pause for this? I'm unpausing. So you're on, for God's sake. So you, you had a bottom in March, now we're at a high. We go lower again? I think, we, we, I think prices since January, since basically January have ripped about countrywide, you're up about 10%. So anything to do with realtors taking August off, is, that's gonna pause? No. <laughs> But, you know, I hear this, and uh, so then you have the real estate market, of course, is, is, is one part of the conversation. And, you know, for, for us, we always look at it more from an aggregate level. So, you know, it's a lot more things to like than the housing market. How dare you? I disagree. <laughs> uh, but if everyone now has to allocate more of their discretionary money, like whatever they're taking each month, towards housing, it automatically means there's less money available left over to, to buy other stuff. And we're gonna go a lot deeper into this as, as we have the conversation further. Because I, I think we're now at a point where not only is you know just the, the Canadian housing market being affected by this, but the rise in interest rates is gonna have this incredible, like profound impact on what households are gonna start doing. And they started a year ago and they'll continue going forward. Same with companies, corporations. And then what they will be doing, of course, is they'll have less money available to spend or they have to borrow more to, to maintain their spending. But that gap that's going to happen has to be made up by somebody and that somebody will be our governments. So we should be prepared to see governments borrow even more. And if, if they're not able to borrow more, it means they have to raise taxes. So we have to go with the city of Toronto request came out a few days ago as well yeah, but it, it's all tied together and that's one thing that we love with our conversations you know we, we always start with housing i won't go into the well no for those that aren't aware the city of toronto basically asked the federal government for a bailout 
uh, more or less, they, they said we need funding, we're essentially bankrupt. Do you hands up if you heard that story? I can't see anything. Yeah, I can't so see anything. We sue someone did. Uh, I saw one or two hands. I feel like yeah, it was more. You know, it, it might be a bit political motivated, you know, what was happening there. And, and you know, the response from Otto was actually the correct response. Because, hey, if you need more money, you know, at the city level, municipality level, you have to ask your province first for money. And then if they can't get it, then you, know, then you come up then. But what's know, wrong with the province of Ontario? It's beautiful. There's nothing wrong with your finances. <laughs> but it goes, goes back to if, if they need money, especially at the municipality sector, like, where do people, where do cities and towns get all their, most of the tax revenue from? I don't know. Well, come on, we'll let Rich answer. You know this one. What do you mean? Property taxes? Yeah, property taxes. Yeah, property. Yeah. That's what but property taxes are very low in Canada relative to other jurisdictions. Yeah, but if you're... In the U.S., sorry, I didn't talk to you, but in the U.S., it's, you know, you have certain places like Essex County, which is one of the richest jurisdictions in the U.S. and New Jersey. You have property taxes of 3 4% on house on the average house price might be 3 or $4 million. That's why they have such excellent public schools in those jurisdictions. What are their income taxes? Income taxes are high also in, in the Northeast. Not this high? They're, they're very high in the Northeast. Close, yeah. But anyway, but also they, then those, anyways, that's, you can get into the SALT tax, which is the state and local tax deductions on your housing. But in Canada, property taxes are very, are relatively low, which is one of the arguments. You hate all kinds of taxes. I, I, I don't tax hate taxes. Assets, but, but however, if you're just saying you're paying 10,000 a year for property taxes, and then all of a sudden that goes up to 15, Right, that's an extra, you know, five thousand dollars that you have to come up with. And it goes back to your story, you know, about your friend. You know, they have to make that decision on, on the mortgage side. So it, it all comes down. Everybody needs more money today to keep this, you know, this this game going. And but this is this is back to the yeah, but this is this is recurring. It's like this is like not just it's not one person. It's every, like and you know the conversation I had is like we have a lot of people and you talk to people at the bank and and mortgage brokers and what their conversations are. It's like they're. Just, there's a cohort, people are panicking. And there's a lot of people that are panicking, like, I, I gotta lock in now. I can't take, they, a lot of it is like, I can't take any more pain. Like, the cycle, the psychology of it is like, not knowing like what, like how, how bad it could get. Like maybe we're at six today, maybe it's seven, maybe it's seven and a half. And I, I mean, that's not my base case, but like I think that's what people are, are having those internal discussions. And so they're locking in. And so that's just gonna ultimately pull from discretionary spending. It's the like, same conversation I had today. Like, I'm just gonna have to stop going to the restaurants a little bit more. I have to pull back here and there. And so it's like if you multiply this across the country, like it's no, well, we talked about this. We we got we we talked about this early, which is the same as wrong in our business. Um, but we talked about the great rate reset, right? So there's certain economies in the world, which is news. If I can run off the top of my head, normally I have my computer in front of me so I can cheat. But uh, South Korea, New Zealand, Australia, which is almost all variable rate mortgages, the UK, which is very very short duration mortgages, Canada is one of them. And you have maybe half a dozen other countries where you, all your mortgage lending is basically at the front end of the curve, right? You have short end, long end. And we talked about the great rate reset. And as these mortgage rates started to ratchet up, we talked about the reset and how people would be feeling the pain. And like I said, we talked about this way too early, which is the same as being wrong. But I think it is now finally starting to happen. And your story is, I think, really indicative of that. This episode is sponsored by Greater Vancouver Tenant and Property Management LTD. Looking to rent out your home or property? Greater Vancouver Tenant and Property Management LTD is here to help. With nearly 500 Google reviews, their property management team loves working with first time and small landlords providing best in class rental 
and management services right here in Vancouver. Condos, townhouses, houses, multiplexes, the team uses technology and industry best practices to avoid the usual headaches. To get your first two months of management free, text or WhatsApp the word BOOMER to 604-256-6930. That's BOOMER to 604-256-6930. That's a special offer for Looney Hour listeners. I personally use them myself. I highly recommend check them out. So, so what's really great about this conversation? First of all, I actually have some numbers for a change without <laughs> a computer in front of me. So I know you, you won't like that. But I, <laughs> yeah, you're on your, your notebook. Uh, but, but from a pure investment perspective, and you, when you're managing money, you just have to be objective. And sometimes it, it could come across as, as the wrong way, as being insensitive and, and whatever. But you know, that's, that's the view you have to take when you're managing money. So when Steve, you just mentioned all this is happening from an aggregate perspective, you know, it's not like in 2015, you know, oil prices dropped from 100 to 20 bucks, basically, and, it, and that hurt Alberta a lot. Didn't hurt Toronto at all, not a big deal. From an investment perspective, when you start having this, you know, this enormous cycle that is starting to turn, inspecting everyone at the same time, it, it actually gives you a better perspective or vision on which way markets are going to move. So this is what we're excited about now. Gives you an idea like where where are we gonna go, where are we not gonna go. Now for the data. Right? Oh, for which who? So my, I got my data points. Oh, like, okay. that's the only one. Um, is that something written on your hand? <laughs> no, nothing there. Um, so we, the, the world has about 300 trillion in debt right now. And how many zeros in 300 trillion? 15? 15. 15. A, a shirt or something. Don't throw a mug. I did. Don't, I don't. don't. This guy's trying to throw a mug. Everybody knows. Don't throw a mug. <laughs> Who said it? Who came up with the number? Someone come up and get a mug. I'm the one who said it. <laughs> we got a, We got a mug collector here. We, we had it. There you go. How many zeros? 19, 20. Okay, so we, we have $300 trillion of debt in the world, and the accumulation of this, this debt has been amplified from having zero rates for over a decade, and governments especially just running deficits, so you need more debt to pay off the previous debt, and so forth. About a third of this debt that's outstanding is on either a variable rate uh, loan or on, on short term, so it's coming due very, very quickly. So when you start crunching the numbers, Rich. Thank you. Yeah. So assuming now, like we've gone from zero to 5% for overnight rates, so three in Europe, five, you know, in, in Canada, US. You know, that, that means there's about three to $5 trillion in additional tax revenue that's needed to pay the interest burden. So, so you see, see where we're going. So we've gone from, you know, your friend who has to pay an extra, what was it? Well, it's 1,200 bucks. 1,200 bucks a month. And so the governments, you know, we, we are at the end of this, you know, super debt cycle. And I, I believe in this great reset that's coming. And it's not a belief. I think if you look at the numbers, like it clearly suggests we're Your going tin down. Tinfoil hat over here. <laughs> no, I don't have a tinfoil hat. It's just the way we're going. <laughs> but if we're going down that avenue, households will, will pinch their belt tighter. So if you had to pay an extra... $1,200 for your mortgage, you, you don't go to restaurants as much and, and things like that. 
uh, if a company has to reduce their spending elsewhere because they have to allocate more money to interest, they'll do it because companies are, you know, it, it's a living entity that is it's always a profit-seeking strategy. That's what they do. So to keep growth growing in the world, by default, governments, they have to fill that void. And the way governments will fill the void, again, they have to borrow even more. So, but now, of course, when we have this challenge where it's taking increasingly more debt to produce that exact same dollar of GDP growth. So, you're, so you know, Rich, you talked about quite a bit with productivity. Well, there's two ways to solve that problem. World. Here we one go. of them Here. we don't like at yeah. all. One is wrong. <laughs> one is as old as the Romans, which is, so anyway, the key, sorry I'm interrupting you, but the, the way, how do you deal with it? How do you deal with all this debt is, is really the question. Um, Keith says taxes, uh, raising taxes. Um, the other way is to do it is through inflation, inflating that debt away, which is, in my view, as when I say it's as old as the Romans, I mean, when Romans were minting coins 2,000 years ago, eventually they started to overspend because they weren't expanding as much, and then they started to shave, literally shave, the edges off the silver pen, not pennies, obviously, or whatever they were called, the Marcus Aurelius coins or whatever it was, but they would literally shave off the, the literally shave off the coin, and that's basically you're devaluing the currency. You do that enough, and you eventually inflate your debt away. Um, and then there's another way you can do it, which is if you know some aliens drop down from outer space and and magic. They're already here. <laughs> Um, but yes, maybe. <laughs> that was the other big story. Right? I, I, I didn't <laughs> oh God! No, please let's. I need a T-shirt. I have a T-shirt with an alien UFO on it. I'm saying if you, not from aliens. If you increase your productivity growth, you can um, deal with this debt. And so those are really the only. So ChatGPT is going to step <laughs> yeah. in. So ChatGPT or aliens, Steve. So ChatGPT, aliens, or inflation is basically in a. The only way to do it, or or really raise you raise taxes, which is which is Keith's point. Thank but there's you. a counterpoint to this. If you if if there if you do have drags on consumers, which by the way, it's not clear that that's true for everybody. In the U.S., debt to GDP is back to a 20-year low. Um, the, the government is not constrained because they're they're the reserve currency in the world. No non-financial corporate debt is also different because so much of that is fixed rate. And I think you know interest payments are, are uh, relative to their actual revenues actually very low. So different countries will feel that squeeze in different ways. Canada, I think, is kind of screwed from that perspective. We'll talk about that a little later. But, but yeah, I was going to finish just saying, but like you know, <laughs> go ahead. No, I was going to say I mean we're going to get to inflation. But finish up your spiel. No, no, I forgot now what I was going to say. <laughs> well, so, I, well, Rich is right, but that's the academic perspective. Okay. You know, you can inflate your way out of it at debt. Problem. That's what we learn in, in school. Well, it's imperial. You mean to say empirical perspective, as in we've seen the evidence of this happening time and time again. But we've also seen evidence of it not working because we just had a decade with zero rates and QE. They're doing everything to try to create the good inflation. So a good inflation is when demand is really strong and supply is a little bit behind, maybe something like that. What we have today is a supply problem. I mean, the, the Fed, the ECB, they, they can't produce more wheat. They, they, they can do whatever they want with rates. They have not invested enough in commodities. They're not, yeah, it's really tough. So I, you know, you've heard me use the phrase before that I think risk has been synchronized around the world. And this is another example of it. So I think we're living now in this period of extremes. So we just had, you know, one extreme moment. Now we've gone to another. 
So gone from zero to five percent overnight. The Americans with with rates, uh, I think five and a quarter, five and a quarter now for, for the Americans. You know, you do that so quickly, and the Canadians did it, and and, and the Brits, the Europeans, Japan might try to do something no. in a few hours. <laughs> but we'll see. But but again, it, it's it's going to trigger this moment where entities who are seeking to maximize their profit all the time, which are corporations and a household, you, know, you may not think you're trying to do it, but we are, they're the ones who will react and governments will react in a very different way. And as this goes, I mean, we go down this, you know, the sovereign debt crisis that in our mind it, it's coming, the after effects of it, it likely won't be expressed in the government bond world because the Bank of Canada will jump in automatically and try to protect you know, federal bonds that are being issued by Ottawa. And so instead, it, it gets reflected on the currency side. So again, there's lots of I opportunities. Think, I think, yeah, I think we should go yeah. down that rabbit hole because you had Canada's CPI inflation came out, what is it, last week, 2.8%, below expected 3%. Everybody's all excited. The finance minister, Christopher Freeland, comes out, sends out a big tweet, says we're the lowest inflation in the G7. We're doing such a good job. We're making we're making life more affordable. Not her words, not mine. <laughs> Still positive. It two point eight percent. The damage is we know the damage has been done, and and like almost like literally like I said like I'm like I'm like, like I'm I'm happy that inflation is coming down because you know it's gonna relieve hopefully a lot of pain. But I was like, man, this tweet feels like it's gonna like top tick inflation and it's sure enough you know commodities this month are up seven percent as per the bloomberg commodity index uh you know today we're watching the markets you know, as we're preparing for this the show canada five-year bond pushes past four percent for the first time in two decades uh, and that's why you've got your mortgage rates going up tomorrow and uh you know your u.s 10-year yield uh moves up 15 basis points on the day the single largest move this calendar year and all of a sudden we're like back to the races. And so we've got, you know, we're, we're not out of this. No, we're definitely not. But we're definitely not. What's so. the race? What, what are you... <laughs> the, the, race, race. the race to get reelected. <laughs> I wouldn't, but I'll there's pick, some, I'll just, pick the under. <laughs> no, some interesting data here, like to, to honestly to like to, you know, my view has been that these higher rates, um, ultimately, you know, you talked about my friend there earlier tonight is, this is going to filter through. It's going to take some time. I think it's taking longer than I expected to, but if you multiply this across a country, ultimately that's going to create lower growth, weaker demand, I think some disinflationary trends, but it's going to be a struggle, I think, to get there and, and some pain along the way. And so if you look at if, I don't know who again, who advising, who is advising the finance minister. <laughs> Certainly not my friend Ben Rabideau. So I'm going to read uh, from his research note here that he sent me. Uh, so he goes on C CPI, so headline CPI again, 2.8%. He goes, so even if CPI averages a very low 0.1% monthly increase for the remainder of the year, we will still, at the end of 2023, we'll end 2023 with a headline inflation back above 3%. If it averages 0.2% per month, which is 2.4% annualized, uh, and that's more or less within the Bank of Canada's target, CPI will be back towards 4% by the end of this year. So you can imagine the headlines, again, if you're trying to get reelected, for example, you see 2.8, you see 3, 3.2, 3.4, 3.6, 
And this is also the problem with base effects, Rich. Yeah, we'll talk um, about that a lot. <laughs> but, but that's why, I mean, we're, I mean, we're going to talk about the Fed, right, soon. But um, last week it was the Bank of Canada they raised. And I think that that, and then the, the market. So we talked about different ways that the market prices in or bets on the future path of interest rates. In Canada, it's called the an option, oops, uh, sorry, overnight index swap. That's what it's called, sorry. Um, in different countries, you have different products, whatever. And Canada, they're pricing in that for the next 12 months, interest rates are actually gonna go up slightly. So let's just say it's gonna be flat for 12 months. It's very possible there's another rate hike um, that's gonna come, but I don't know. Maybe sounds like a Twinkie bet. That sounds like a Twinkie bet. <laughs> a level of bet, it's, it's better than you. Um, should we? There's some booze out there, you hear that? <laughs> booze for the lemon loaf. Yeah, yeah. yeah, those people never had a lemon loaf. But let's, you want to jump into the Fed then? Because you introduced, yeah, you want to give us a rundown on what, what they did and didn't um, do? Sure, but I, need my notes. I, do want to, I do want to ask you, so the BOC is coming out in September. Oh yeah, this is our Twinkie bet. We have to do the Twinkie bet. Let's do it. We got one of these on the okay. line. Okay. Um, well, let's ask the crowd. Who thinks that the, the, the Bank of Canada is going to hold rates steady? This time I'm going to look properly. September is the next meeting. Oh, it's actually quite low. All right, so there's three options. Who thinks they're going to cut? Let's start over. Who thinks that they're going to cut? Nobody thinks they're going to cut. One I like hand. this. Wow. This is good. Okay. <laughs> All right. Who thinks they're going to hold at five? What is it? Five percent? Yeah. What is that? Half? How do we? Quite a Did few you holds. say a hold? Quite a few holds. Uh, yeah. There. yeah. Oh, hold. Yeah. I'm in for a hold. Okay. Was I supposed to bet now? Yeah, sure. This is your okay. bet. Who's hiking? All you guys have to eat Twinkies when you're wrong. <laughs> okay, I think they're going to hike. Who thinks they're going to hike? Oh, it's half half. I like this. This is well priced. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going to go hold. You're going to go hold. But I've been. I've been wrong for a while. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that uh, Steve, brother, you want to introduce the Fed then? Well, yeah. So I mean, obviously, the Fed. You know, coming into this week, this this show here, Keith, we're like, man, and. A week, a week and a half out, we're like, this is this might be a boring live show. There's just not a lot going on. We got hit with all this information, and obviously, so the Fed hike rates 25 basis points tomorrow. You and Rich were cuddling up in the hotel room. We were slugging back a pint, <laughs> watching watching we Jay Powell on TV. We were watching the. We were so, so actually, it kind of went like this. So I arrived on, on Tuesday night, and uh, and then Rich arrived yeah. Wednesday morning, and I, I get a text from from Rich. He's like, Keith, I'm in the lobby and I left my credit card to my mom's house. <laughs> Can you come down and pay for my room? I'm like, okay, sure. So I come down and, you know, you owe me money for that, by the way. Where's Keith acting? <laughs> and Rich said, what do you want to do? Want to go for a bike ride? I was like, no, let's go watch the Fed meeting, the presser. And two of us and were so excited. You know, we run upstairs and then we do watch it. But uh, do you want to go into the... To well, the Fed data, yeah, like I mean, what they did. Well, I mean, say we're gonna, there's lots of stuff. There's so much shit we have to. Like, so, I mean, yeah, I get to the Fed hiked yesterday. The presser. I mean, I don't know if you want to like quickly parcel that out and sit like. Well, I mean, what was the? You guys watched the well, whole thing. Yeah, it was great. He wore a nice tie. He. Uh, there was a couple of really stupid questions from the press, which is quite normal, I would say. Um, there was a couple of good questions. I think for me, it was just you know the Fed's raised to five point two five. That's a twenty-two year high. Uh, I'm going to front run Keith here. I think there's a couple of comments. I mean, the, normally the presser is not meant to, uh, you know, change things or, you know, the, the press release is very, very, very calculated in order to not spook the markets. The two takeaways that I had was that he, he wrote, he said, inflation expectations remain well anchored. Now, we've talked about the word anchored before. 
That basically is from Mario Draghi, who was the Italian ECB, um, um, what's it called, the governor for many years before <laughs> the current one, I won't even say her name. Um, but so the, the, the idea, like we've talked about inflation, that's one thing, but inflation expectations. And I think that that was one of the main takeaways for me. Um, and then the other, and then the other one is something that Keith, you've been on for a long time and says to achieve a goal, which is below trend growth, you, uh, sorry, you, you need, sorry, you need below trend goal. Fuck, sorry, let's start over. <laughs> to achieve our goals, you need below trend growth. Um, and softer employment conditions. Now, softer employment conditions is one hell of a euphemism, and that means basically people fired out of employment, which means the labor market contracting and unemployment going up. I think you guys can pretty much figure that out. And below trend growth means exactly what that is. It means weaker growth. And so those, so to me, that's like a very hawkish statement. And you know, they said they were gonna be data dependent or what have you. We're gonna to get to the GDP, which was really positive. But Keith, what did, what did you have to say? Yeah, we heard this, you know, the great thing about listing these central bankers, a lot of people are listening to it and you come across with different things. You hear what you want to hear, <laughs> of course. Uh, but specifically, how was that? Is it the labor market is very tight. It, they've been very consistent with, with this message now, even going so back. being strong. Sorry. Yeah, because remember it was a year ago I had the Jackson Hole, um, the Kansas City Fed, Boondoggle they have every every August, but so by the way, guys, August is the uh, it's like the quiet month. There's no central bank meetings taking place. The, the Bank of England are out next week. I think it's Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday. They're out, but then you know August is dead. Tiff said his cabin, leg. <laughs> yeah, but sweating. You, you get a bit more uh, you know details what's coming out. But the Fed has been very consistent. Like not only are they looking at headline inflation and, and other measures, but they've consistently talked about the labor market. And, and again, he specifically said the labor market is very tight. So that means that demand for labor is effectively equal to or greater than the supply of labor. And you always have mismatches in a normal economic cycle, but for them going from zero to five and a quarter percent in such a quick time period, and they can't put a dent in the labor market. That, so all I hear is, as you, as you said, Rich, they, they need a recession, they need job losses, they have to reduce demand. And the other comment that Powell made, he said, uh, in, to have inflation come down to the you know, appropriate levels, his quote was, he said, it will take time. So they, they're not finished hiking rates yet. It seems like with, with the Fed, it, it is the most important central bank in the world. Equity markets especially, you know, they've been trying now for maybe nine months to guess when the Fed has, they're going to not only pause, but really stop hiking. And they get the energy for it, and then it, it, it falls off, and then they start going again. But again, we, we're getting a very consistent message, you know, from the Fed. And after they came out with that, uh, then we had the GDP number this morning. Yeah. I think it ties in all together, right? Yeah, I mean, GDP was... Stronger than expected, Rich Yield dive through the numbers, but it was at 2.4%. Yeah, but you have to be careful. So GDP is calculated in different ways. Um, some countries do it monthly. The UK and Canada do it monthly. I think that's kind of ridiculous. Other countries do it quarterly, and they do a seasonally adjusted annualized rate. So what that means is you can't compare one season with a different season. Different seasons have different types of productivity and different types of product. Um, and you do an annualized rate, which is just a fancy way of saying times four. Right, you got four quarters, so then multiply it by four. There's a little bit more complicated than that. But the US GDP growth was 2.4%. Um, a couple of things that stood out for me 
Um, it was positive, so I think on the whole you can't, you know, they, well, the expectations were 1.8, I think. And then, um, so a couple of things that stood out, one positive, one negative. Positive was that private gross fixed capital formation, that's a fancy way of saying investment, grew 4.9, so that's unambiguously good. That's after four quarters of contractions. So if you think about the chart, you had a dip, and then you pop, you're popping up. So there's something positive going on in the investment, sorry, in the fixed investment world in the US. But the thing that I, that stood out on the negative side was consumption was 1.6. That's an annualized rate. So one, what's, what's 16 divided by four? four 0.4, oh my God. Um, so it's actually you know not that great after you know really good Q1. And remember, we talked about this before, is the consumption in the US about 75% of GDP. So if you don't have that consumption piece, it's very, very difficult. Will you push back on that? Because on like consumption, I mean, Canada's definitely in a much different situation than the US, but on the consumption side, like credit card balances are growing. In the US and like more, yeah, you for GDP, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but in Canada in particular, I mean, not only is retail spending actually down on a per capita yeah, inflation adjusted basis. So retail spending is actually falling. Yeah. Um, and in, the, in the U.S., it's, I mean, the U.S. is much. It's a it's a stronger economy. They have less debt to GDP in the households. Their households are not linked to the we talk mortgage rates in the same way. Whereas Canada retail sales growth. Whenever you see these positive numbers, you have to discount the fact they have such a huge population growth. So but all you see is these headlines, right? So it's like it strikes across the CBC <laughs> news. It's like retail spending remain up two percent. Yeah. It's like well, your inflation's your your population is growing by three. Right. First of all. Uh, yeah, so I have it here, I have it written down for the Canada, I wrote a bunch of Canadian notes so I wouldn't forget. But Canada's uh, real retail sales per capita is up 3% in five years, so basically flat. Sorry, since 2018, so almost six years. It's crazy. That's crazy, think about that. So the per capita of retail sales is flat over six years, Keith. Anyway, sorry, you guys are, carry on. Uh -oh, we lost. How does this play out, Bummer? You had me on retail sales. <laughs> no, so how does this play out, right? Because I think, like, I think the problem that we're seeing is like, you know, Powell's talking to labor market and saying, okay, we've got to crack the labor market. Rich is the data geek here, but ultimately, it's the most lagging economic yeah. data. So it's like basically, I think from a political standpoint, is they're waiting for the most lagging indicators to roll over, so they then have some air cover to say, okay, we can take our foot off the gas. So you're waiting for this lagging data to basically roll out. That's true, but the U.S. labor market is strong. So I know I'm talking about both sides of my mouth here a little bit, but it is, I've always said the labor market's a lagging indicator. It's you, you can't predict anything on that. It is the last penny to draw. But genuinely, they have a very, very strong labor market. We looked at continuing claims. That fell a lot. It's back down to what a six-month low or whatever. There's something called the challenger job growth announce, uh, job uh, cut announcements. So you remember in January they, it shot up. It's starting to roll over again. What, what, what are the jolts? What does jolts mean? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's job opening, labor turnover. What, what's so, your, so no, I'm curious. Like, what's your own? Like, I think first we need to maybe step back and explain because some people may not be aware. So when when the GDP number came out this morning for the Americans, uh, it's a great number. Like it says, there's no recession. Everyone is working, making money. And the equity markets, after a while, they, they sold off aggressively at the end of the day, uh, that the bond market tanked. The US dollar just surged. And a surging US dollar is not positive. It's, it's a sign that foreign capital is running in 
to the basically the treasury market, short-term market, you know, for safety and, and protection. And it might seem a bit counterintuitive because here we are, you know, it seems like, you know, we're disappointed because we have some really good growth numbers, you know, out of the U.S. and you know, the market is selling off. But the reason the market is selling off because it, it then applies if you reconcile that with what we said earlier with with, with Powell and, and the Fed about continuing to raise rates. It just gives further evidence that rates will continue to go higher. And how much higher? We're not sure yet. You know, they say, well, it, we're going to be data dependent. And so they're, they're definitely going to do another quarter point hike coming up in September, most likely. And it could be even more after that. But but the markets, they don't want to hear that. They want to hear that, hey, no more rate hikes. Because <laughs> we know we can, but we don't want mortgage rates to go higher. They're using the Canadian you know, perspective on it. And uh, so, but, you know, but I think once we finish with the Americans, we'll jump over to the Europeans. Because the, this morning we wake up, and you know, yesterday, you know, Fed was, you know, Rich was excited with the Fed meeting. Yeah. And this morning we had the Europeans doing their, their exact same uh, meeting. Fantasyland. I know it's the it's the economic fantasyland it's it's so called bad. Europe, but it goes back to the you know the, the concept that everyone is now reconciled. Everyone is in sync. Rates going up. Is growth going to roll over or not? And what will the effect be with uh, on interest rates? So do you want to go through the Europe? The, you, the yeah, you run, yeah, I know you like pull your popcorn and watch the guard there. So <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Canadian Western Bank. Canadian Western Bank knows that to truly serve business owners, you have to think like them. You have to know their struggles and live their triumphs. CWB's founders were entrepreneurs, and when the kind of bank they needed didn't exist, they built it. Because Canadian businesses need a certain kind of bank, one that's there for every turn, every peak, and every unexpected drop. One that's actually easy to work with, a bank completely dedicated to business owners. It's why business owners love banking with CWB, and you will too. So first of all, the, the Europeans, they raised rates by 25 basis points. And that was 100% expected. There were no surprises with it. So whereas, you know, the, the Canadians, Americans are at, you know, roughly five, five and a quarter. The Europeans are now at 3.75. Remember, they were at zero. And before they're at zero, they're at negative, right? That's why it's a fantasy land. Um, but what, one of the surprise notes that came out this morning that, that not only you know, shocked the market, but it, it, it really ticked off the commercial banks. Um, they re reduced the rate that European banks were getting paid on their reserves held at the ECB. They reduced it to 0%. So that, that's, and, and you say, well, why did they do that? Because they, they, they want to help the banks build up their you know, their, their buffers again. And that's one thing that the Americans did a really good job with after the housing crisis back in 08, 09. But so they did this, and so that, you know, that, that takes off the banks. So and now they're not gonna pay anything for holding money at the ECB, which then forces them to do something with the money. So now your option is do nothing and get zero, or you lend it out and get something. However, what also came out from, from Europe the, the past few days is that, um, there's been a, a severe drop in demand for corporate debt across the Eurozone. Now, I assume the EU as well, when you look at all the numbers pushed together. So this is the, you know, again, when you look at, you know, the Germans are in recession, um, services, you're starting to wobble, if you like to use, you know, that word as well. Manufacturing is getting weaker. So here's the ECB, this is where the fantasy land thing comes in. Now, they're raising rates to try to you know, reduce demand and stop inflation. At the same time, they told the banks, we're not gonna pay you any money on your reserves, so we want you to lend it out 
to keep the economy going. I have a number for you. Are you following? I am. I've yeah, the bouncing ball is going. The mortgage down. loans, by the way, contracted to 1.3 percent and falling. Yeah. If you look at the, it's absolutely crazy. The charges. This is, this is in Europe. Your your area mortgage loans year on year. So I can tell you, in Canada, residential mortgage uh, credit growth will, will probably be touched. Well, in the next couple of months, it hit about four percent. Yeah. Four uh, percent growth in residential mortgage. So that's equivalent to. Uh, the announcement when they brought in the mortgage stress test back in 2017, and then in 2018, the market kind of rolled over, right? If you got no residential mortgage credit growth, pretty hard to see rising house prices. Yeah. Uh, basically tells you people aren't really borrowing. And so you're on pace to hit about 4% here in the next several months. And so again, that's on pace with the announcement and unveiling of B20, the mortgage stress test. So people basically, yeah, again, it's 6.2% mortgage rates. Obviously people are reluctant to borrow. Yeah. It happened, sorry, I know you're gonna keep going, but in China, it's the same thing. You, you, you see different measures and different practices. In Where? In China, excuse me, sorry. In China? I, I hate that. <laughs> in China, in China, China has a really big issue with their real estate uh, market, and they've been cutting the price that they're, they're paying to the reserves in, for Chinese banks in order to encourage them, their, them to lend. That's not working either. So keep going, keep going in Europe. I mean, so, so again, with, with Europe, and this is where things don't make sense, so they, that they're hiking rates, which they want to restrict the amount of capital available to go through the economy. Then on the other hand, they're telling the banks that we're going to penalize you, so you need to lend money out if you want to make money. So it, you know, it... But ultimately it comes down to the... Like, it's so contradictory. But of course the market reaction to, so you know, Euro has been under a lot of pressure over the last five days. And uh, like this morning it just got smoked again in line with everything else. Right now, um, you know, as of this morning, a, a short change at the end of the day, but the, right now the market is sort of, you know, 40% expecting the Europeans might hike one more time, and then they're done. So you see, we're, we're getting to this point where, you know, are we at maximum pain yet? Everyone is aware of it? No, I don't think there's But it more, still hasn't happened. Yeah, exactly. There's more pain to come, for sure. You want to talk about the UK? Because the UK is also raising rates, and the UK is also under pressure, and they, they raised rates a couple of weeks ago. Or was it a couple weeks ago? Yeah. Okay, so we like to make fun of the Europeans, but the, what, what's happening to the UK now from a monetary perspective? Like this is, it would make one of these classic British comedies that, that they do. Well, you yes, know, yes, 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 Prime Minister is an amazing show. If you've never <laughs> seen it, you got to watch it. So it, it, the Bank of England, you know, in a, in a time span of maybe four months, I'm guessing, They've gone from forecasting a severe depression happening in the UK to, well, we're growing too fast, inflation is going through the roof, so we got to hike aggressively, so now inflation is rolling over. And to give you an idea, again, like how countries are the same everywhere, and so the Bank of England, they're, they're still indicating they want to hike rates, they really want to you know, crush inflation. And who comes out publicly and tells them, you cannot raise rates anymore. This is too much you know, for all of us to handle. So it's the Treasury Department. So you constantly got this fight going on between Treasury, so you know, they're the ones collecting tax revenues and having to borrow, and then you got the central bank, you know, they're trying to slow things down. But uh, so the Bank of England are out on the 3rd of August, so I don't know what day that is next week. And uh, you know, we'll see what they do. But right now, Mark, the market is expecting 75 yeah. basis points more. Come on. In one day? No. no. <laughs> Shock the markets. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, that's what I would do. But <laughs> well, that's what... mad when I, when I say that. 
Any other comment on? So they're expecting. The they're expecting twenty-five then. Well, I just think I think the UK. Yes. I think the UK is different. I think the, there's like they're all related in a sense, but the UK is different. I mean, it, it's you have a wage price spiral, I think, in the UK in the way that you don't have in Canada. So nominal wage growth in the UK is six percent, six point seven percent. Wouldn't that be nice here? Um, I think that they're and you look at services, which is what I think they're they're. You know, a lot of the talk about why headline inflations come down or why core inflations come down, that focus I think is misguided. Um, it's often a lot to do with energy prices, energy price services. Um, you have a big drag, you have a huge fluctuation, and that huge fluctuation times the, con the contribution, like the weight equals your contribution. And so what you're seeing is you've seen a collapse in goods prices, and that's dragged down headline from the peak. But if you look at the housing component and you look at services, in Europe and in Canada, well, Canada a little bit less, in the US, they're all continuing to go. So, you know, we, we might not like the method, we might not like the tool, but I kind of understand why they're insistent saying that there's still inflationary impulses out there. Well, I think the biggest thing is like everybody in this room is kind of like, okay, you guys have moved all these different markets and like, what, what does this all mean? Like, where are we going over the next 12 months? How do I position myself? What am I supposed to do? Like, I, and, and so like, I, I do wonder like, you know, rates are going up, people can't really afford it, people can't afford it, businesses can't necessarily afford it. Um, you know, the ECB, ECB is raising rates, but telling banks to lend money, but nobody wants to borrow because rates are too high. Uh, you know, in Canada, your, your M2 money supply, your money supply growth is actually negative. Uh, so it's actually contracting. So the, the big, you know, the inflationistas out there that are like, oh, listen, you're gonna have hyperinflation because M2 growth was running at 20% during the pandemic. It's now, it's now falling, it's negative. Uh, and so are we on the precipice of this like credit crunch? Like what is your outlook or view on the next 12 months? Clearly it's gonna be a bumpy volatile rap. You've got all these like media headlines, mainstream economists, everyone's saying soft landing. There's not even a recession anymore. We're just, just raising rates to infinity and there's no recession and bond yields are back up and, and there's no hikes in, in sight or there's no cuts in sight. So, <laughs> you definitely have a view. Come on, <laughs> don't hold back now. Yeah, you go, Keith. Age of Mr. Mr. Great Reset. Where are we going? Yeah, yeah. So this is where you say something and then you get attacked. You know, cancel. <laughs> uh, I, I suspect the best case scenario the next twelve to eighteen months. And this is very positive, by the way. Is, is the uh, we we have, you know, slow muted growth in in Canada and, and elsewhere. That that's that's what you want, and then hopefully during that period, you know, there, there will be dislocations and it will happen, but it won't be this this fire sale kind of event. And once that happens, then you know, maybe you get some adjustments taking place. Uh, maybe there are some major changes with with government policies uh, will, will take place as well. I, I think that's though the best case scenario. The likely scenario is that we're, we're, you know, we won't have this low growth period, in that we'll have some pickups along the way. So whether that's like minus one, minus two on a GDP basis, I don't know, or maybe employment growth just goes to zero or things like that. But the biggest risk we have right now in Canada, and there's lots of reasons to suggest that this won't happen, but if if we get a stress on a national level, on an aggregate level, um, Canadian banks will absolutely start to contract with their lending. So even though you might see rates 
come lower. I don't mean the Bank of Canada will cut rates, but the yield curve, you know, can shift lower. I, I suspect Canadian banks will start to become reluctant to start lending. So you can actually have mortgage rates go higher in, in this situation. So one of the key things we're looking at right now, uh, we'll have the Canadian banks coming out with earnings now in, in a few weeks. And uh, so we we really in, enjoy, like we look for it all the time, is how much are the banks setting aside for, uh, for, for uh, provisioning for bad loans or credit loss provisions, and then that will give us a signal. But again, best case scenario, like we're we're there because I think we've reached the peak level. People don't have enough money coming anymore. Well, the, the bank regulator, funny enough, is saying that now finally we're going to force the Canadian banks to hold uh, higher, basically more capital against uh, uh, your variable rate mortgages. So again, people that aren't paying back. Not only their interest, but their principal. They're not paying down any principal. Their loan balances at some of these banks, your mortgage balance is actually growing. OSPI has finally come out and said, listen, you're going to have to hold more capital against that. And so they're trying to discourage that. And so apparently, the rumor is in January of this year and the new year in 2024, these fixed payment variable rate mortgage products will cease to exist. Just one more, one more comment. Uh, we, we love to find little you know, tidbits. That's, that's the, the donut thing, right? Timbit. Yeah, I don't mean the donut. <laughs> I want to find little clues. And uh, so something, I, to give you an idea, like, you know, what to look for in things, and they don't come up very often. When they do, they, they, they should scream at you. So this morning, uh, it's called Home Equity Bank. So they do, what, what do you call it, inverse mortgages? Uh, they call reverse? it chip, chip reverse mortgages, basically like your... You what do you explain what, what they are? Uh, you basically are borrowing against the equity in your home. So if you're retired, uh, you, you know, you've been in your home for 35 years, you've got obviously all this equity that's accrued, but you don't want to sell, you don't want to move, you don't want to downsize, you want to stay in your home, you can essentially borrow against that equity. So, so what this group announced this morning, uh, through one of their different structures, first time they're doing, they're doing a pretty large bond issuance coming up. The last time they did one, I believe it was oversubscribed two or three times. So lots of demand, and that's another story as well. But I, I see this and I say, okay, why are they borrowing? Why are they having a very significant bond issuance now, like today and next week? And you have to look at it from a company's perspective. And you know, one thought is maybe, yeah, it just makes sense. It's the cycle that they need, they need the capital. Or maybe another one, which is, you know, because I'm skeptical all the time, is that they foresee that maybe there is a period coming up where it'll either be more expensive for them to borrow, so credit spreads are widening, or there's a challenge in the housing market somehow, which confirms your, your brilliant call earlier. Unpause. <laughs> I don't know what that means, though. <laughs> You're about to find out. We will. But, or they're concerned that they won't be able to borrow themselves at some point. So whenever you see companies do a big move like that, you know, set it aside and you know, follow it all the time. And anyway, yeah, the credit spreads are still relatively muted, no? And that's like the big. Well, it depends, right? So in the U.S., I mean, I look at the credit, the corporate credit market is much deeper and wider in the U.S. We talked about this last week. If you look at the credit spreads, they haven't come in at all. Remember, we talked about you know the S and P 500 is what the series we always look at, the U.S. equity market, dominated by tech. Obviously, it's like 20, 25 percent of the U.S. equity market is tech. But as the U.S. equity market rose. And I think we hit 45, 4,600 a couple of days ago. The spread, normally you have a commensurate decline, so less risk, um, less you know, 
worry about refinancing, and that's expressed by a shorter, sorry, a smaller credit spread. So what is a spread? You have the bond, you have corporate bond prices, and then you minus your government bond price of the similar duration. They always want a duration match, though that spread. And we have not seen a commensurate decline in that spread, even though the equity market goes higher and higher. So you talk, you ask me for an outlook. I think, thing, I think you know, plus ça change. You know, it's like the the cycles are don't die of old age. They're murdered, and they're murdered by the Fed. And I don't think this is is going to be any different this time. I think that because the equity the labor market is as strong as it is, and because the housing market is as strong as it is, I think you get to continue to get hikes, and those hikes are going to create some kind of schism, and it's going to be, you've said it in the corporate credit world, I think it'll just be eventually just a, a reduction in consumption. And what I'm looking at right now all the time is earnings revisions ratios. And six months ago or eight months ago, so again, when you have analysts, they look at, the, they look at um, different stocks and they predict what is going to happen to earnings or sales or margins or capex or whatever. You aggregate those analyst expectations and you have earnings revisions ratios. And that doesn't always work like this, but the previous cycle from that 3,600 on the S&P, you had the earnings revisions bottom, which means all the analysts started to say, hey, you know, these companies are actually still profitable. And what we're seeing is now the other side of it, where the earnings revisions are starting to soften. At a time where the Fed has said they're gonna continue to keep rates high and raise them, at a time where consumption, we talked about the GDP growth numbers aren't so hot, and at a time where I think that you're eventually getting weakness in the labor market. And so that, that's sort of my view on that. But that, the, as far as back to your, your point about the, the, the spreads, I don't think they've come in that much at all. So you're of the view that, you know, the labor market remains relatively strong, housing remains relatively strong, and so this is an impetus or, or a reason for the Fed to continue to push. Yeah. And by pushing, obviously, you're gonna create more problems down the road. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you ask for outlook. Outlook for economy and outlook for risk assets and bond markets is always sort of different. The economy sort of lags. The equity market is tends to be a discounter of future cash flows. So the equity market, or in some cases, the bond market, is sort of the predictor. So it's, you know, in, in a sense, what we do is circular, right? We use it lagging economic data to predict what's gonna happen in a risk asset that is meant to be sort of a forward-looking indicator. I mean, you know, you can turn yourself into a pretzel sometimes, but the, the point is I think that we've, you know, on lower margins, weaker growth, higher interest rate costs, um, issues with uh, China, issues with Europe, it's very difficult to see, I think, for equity markets, risk assets in particular, to have a really good run going forward, um, especially on weaker earnings revisions, uh, and on tighter credit conditions, I, I have a really hard time, which is why your point about the bond market being expensive, well, what if interest rates fall 100, 200 basis points, then a lot of these debt burdens become a little bit more affordable, back to your question, your point about the debt. So like, so you know, I just talked about this new bond issuance that, that's coming out. So it's, it's gonna be, the company is triple B rated. So it, it's investment grade, but you know, one notch below and then things get a bit, a bit dicey. Um, you know, people may not realize how the bond world works. So there are excess savings around the world. So people might think, like, why are you, why is everyone always buying treasuries? Because everybody needs treasuries. If you're a bank, you need treasuries. Insurance company, you need them. If you're uh, international trade or you're an offshore bank and all that stuff. 
But then you have other savings are coming to the market and they have to buy bonds by default. So would you rather have a bond that's paying say three and a half percent yield, would you can get a nice triple B rated bond that's juicy, and I'll make up the rate, say it's four and a half percent. So it goes back to this credit spread, you know, narrative that you were just sharing with us, Rich. So my, my fear now is because we are getting, you know, this cycle is getting long in, in the tooth, so, so to speak. Um, I'm hearing it now all the time in that people who are now a bit nervous about anything, you know, they, they all of a sudden they're, they're guided into the bond world. That's where they go. And they're always told, hey, bonds are safe. You know, you always get your money back, you know, old people used to buy them and they did well with them and, and all that. But they don't realize that today's bond funds, they, they look and feel and smell very differently than you know, the bond funds from, from years ago. So years ago, I mean, in the 90s, you know, that the bond funds, all government bonds, they took on a little bit of, you know, credit exposure, corporate bonds. And, and that was enough. That's all you needed. But over the last 10 years, especially with rates being at 0%, a lot of these funds, they, they moved out into the high yield world or at the bottom of the rating uh, in the investment grade world, like the triple B kind of issuance, or they gone to emerging market debt and high yield debt. And it's if there's no bottom to the cycle or you know a, a top, if you want to look at it from, from that way, um, then it'll be fine. You'll get your money out. But it, it's our concern today that people are being backed into these you know, bond markets, and they think it, it's safe, where you know, they're actually running into the house that's, that's almost on fire. So the, these are the things to look at. So you talk about credit spreads, and it sounds like a great conversation from Rich and, and all that, because it is. But I always think, well, okay, how does that work? Well, how does that affect the market? And, and the challenge with most people that when you say the market, you always think about the stock market. But the bond market dwarfs the stock market. Currency markets dwarf the stock market. And there's a lot of things that are moving here right now. So I'm excited about it because I think there are ways to make money on it. If you're looking for a simple and effective way to invest in the stock markets, broad market ETFs may be the solution for you. With ETFs like BMO's S&P 500 index, or BMO's S&P slash TSX capped composite ETF. You can easily diversify your portfolio across a wide range of stocks, giving you exposure to various sectors and industries. Say goodbye to the hassle of buying individual stocks and say hello to a convenient, low-cost broad market ETF. Broad market ETFs come in many shapes and sizes and their ETFs can be used to form the building blocks of your portfolio. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just getting started, these ETFs offer flexibility, liquidity, and low cost, which means more money in your pocket. I have a vignette to add to this. Well, there's something, you know, ever, I mean, are people familiar with the grade inflation? Basically, you can't flunk kids in school anymore, no matter how badly they are at math or whatever. And so what you've seen is like the average graduating grade from high school has crept up from, you know, 60 to 70. And now, you know, the average grade is like 85% because you can't fail anybody even if they can't read or write or whatever it is. There's actually a similar situation in the bond rating market, where you had a, you're having rating inflation, so uh, let's say a triple B rated bond, so let's just say slightly above junk or whatever. I can't, I never remember the ratings. Anyway, you have a, a so you have basically a bond that's not so great today would have been considered junk bond, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, and so you've had the bond rating inflation because interest rates have been low for so long. 
these companies would otherwise would have had a really shitty rating, their ratings crept up and crept up and crept up. And so these bond funds are, are you know, they're pitched as investment grade, but that, that you know, if you use the same models of 15, 10, or 20 years ago, they would actually have a much, much worse rating. And I'm sorry, that was... It, it reminds me of a, a few years. So by the way, there are, there are four bond rating agencies in the world, basically. And uh, so you have the two American ones, you, you have you know, S&P and then Moody's, which is owned by Warren Buffett. Um, then you have the French one, which is Fitch, I think is, that's what it is. If you say so. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know that more than one, don't ask yeah. me. <laughs> and then you have the Canadian version, the Dominion Bond Rating uh, Agency, I think it's called. And uh, a few years back, uh, when I was offshore, um, you know, I was chatting with these guys, they had a money market fund. And it was rated AAA by S&P. And if it's rated AAA, it means it opens the market for institutional, like captive insurance companies to pour money and stuff like that. Because it's AAA rated, it, it's safe, right? It's great. Yeah, like mortgage-backed yeah. security. And uh, of course, you know, the, the ratings are, are purchased. You know, that, that's, that's another story. But S&P were pulling it. They said, you know, there's things going on in there and no way it was a AAA. And, um, and Moody's, they said, no, we're not touching this either. And I remember I was chatting with, with the guy at a pub, by the way, that's where all investment decisions take place around the world. <laughs> and uh, I said, what are you gonna do? Like, you guys are screwed. Like, you're gonna lose all your money. And they said, no, we'll just get Fitch. You know, get the French guys. They'll rate it for anything. <laughs> so, you know, but the point is that a credit rating doesn't necessarily mean what it should mean, right? And it's a, that's the world we're in. So to summarize, in terms of positioning, for everyone's here, they made their way here, like, what the hell do I do? Positioning, you're kind of rich, you're in the camp that, you know, maybe you're trading here a little bit, but you're, 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 you're a little bit skeptical. Disclaimer, I've been wrong for six months. <laughs> but you're, ske um, you're skeptical of the next 12 months. Yeah. You're, you're in a more cautionary stance. Yeah. Although I, I've been eating some crow on the tech sector. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's right. Keith? I mean, yeah, so I got, I got, you know, I'll give you credit. You've been very bullish on the Fed. Uh, you've been fairly bullish in recent months on commodities, which are now starting to show a bit of life. What? Well, I mean, for overall, for our strategies, uh, like we're never all in in any single market because it's the investment world. As Rich said, like sometimes you're right for a while, and then you're you're wrong for for another while. Um, we, we just continue to recognize that there are risks out there around the world. And we know that if that risk does develop, then if you're in the traditional kind of a portfolio that, that's out there, you're going to get creamed. Like you're, you're, you're going to get hit pretty hard with that. So we just want to make sure that we have positions. So if you know the, anyone know a distribution curve, the bell curve? <laughs> you, Rich. <laughs> this guy here gets a mug. <laughs> Is that the same guy from earlier? <laughs> um, so you just want to make sure that you're able to have allocations to and, and positions to to a market that if you know if the credit event happens, you know you you at least you're going to protect yourself and and, and save yourself because you know I say this all the time as well. If you lose fifty percent in anything. How much you need, Rich, to get back? 100%. 100% to get back. And that's the world we're in. So for us, like the, the easiest market to protect yourself in right now with that, you, you want to be long the US dollar, but not necessarily long US dollar versus CAD, but long versus like Euro, 
yen, pound, Aussie, like all, all these things. Because if we, if we do get this event taking place, you know, that fat tail event, you, you're gonna make a lot of money on, on that position, but you likely lose it elsewhere. So like we're, you know, again, like we don't go all in in different markets. We've, we've been doing a lot of commodities over, over the first half this year, which is now really working out. We've been light on equities because we thought they would have come off that hasn't by now. So, you know, we're, we're missing out on that. But again, we, as long as if you continue to expect an extreme event could happen, just be prepared for it. That's all you need to do. Yeah. No, and I think on the on the housing front, just to, to, to wrap up here and, and clarify on like an unpause, I think just like <laughs> as you get these higher rates and the higher for longer, you know, mortgage rates at six months, I, I just don't think Canadian housing, it, it, just, it doesn't work. Um, the one thing I'd say like in terms of, of time, so active listings in Canada, in this country right now, are half of what they were back in 2014, 2015, half. So in terms of all the houses that are available for sale on the MLS as of right now, 50% lower than back in 2020, basically from 2010 to 2015, half. So that includes condos and all Condos, the thing about all your new construction, all the apartments that have completed that are, that are done, you've added all this new supply, you've added all these people to the economy, half. So this is why when you say like, like you know, Bank of Canada comes up and says, well, housing has been resilient. Well, I would argue that it's not a strong housing market. There's not a lot of sales, there's not a lot of listings, but there's no inventory. So the people that need to buy, want to buy, people want to get on their lives. You know, you got a young family, you're starting a family, you want to get on with your life. And, and so you're trying to buy something, but the reality is, is again, 50%. And, and so I think like, I don't think this is a strong market. I think that, that you've got inventory that is masking a lot of these issues. And, but ultimately I think the higher for longer that this is, if you're going to, you're going to have issues and you're going to have people that are, are going to foreclose and default and, and struggle to, to make, to make ends meet. That's the, that, I know I'm wading into waters that I don't belong in, in the housing market, but from the, I mean, that's the problem I have though. If you just have as many people coming into this country, li like li literally 3.14% is the highest it's been in 50 or 60 years. Um, and we know housing starts are very, very low. Don't you just have a floor? Like what's the catalyst? Like, you know, in the US the catalyst was, I mean, just the more, the MBS market was total bullshit basically. And they just, you know, the collapse in lending, but you know, what's the, yeah, like, and we know that there's so actually relatively few people who actually have mortgages, so there won't be the forced selling you got in Las Vegas or in you know other those those crazy markets, you know the gully. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, I agree. But there will be stressed people, and people unfortunately will lose their homes. I mean, is it going to be enough to oversupply the market? I, I, I don't necessarily think so, but not to say that prices can't correct somewhat. But also that you're going to say also saying that you know that just you won't have the, the ramp up anyway. anyway. Well, I think ultimately, like, I just look at, um, you know, um, what we're seeing right now is units under construction still relatively elevated. The stuff that's in the pipeline is getting built because it has to get built. There's already a hole in the ground. Uh, but if you look at residential permits on a, you know, six-month rolling average, it's the lowest it's been in, in, uh, in a decade. And so people are obviously, they're stopping construction. So yeah. it's ironic enough, again, that the housing minister, the new housing minister, was in charge of immigration. <laughs> And hopefully he's as successful as ramping up housing starts as he is about ramping up immigration. But I think it's gonna be hard because ultimately you have to incentivize 
private capital to put money to work in an environment where we're all talking and saying, this is gonna get ugly. This yeah. is a bit of a shit show, and, but you need to put your money to work? Yeah. But, but this is where it's, it's confusing. Because you know, you're, I'm hearing a very positive story. I think, well, I think it's a, demand, so am I. Yeah. Right? Um, and if, but if you're just looking at it from that perspective, that's it, it, you're 100% correct to see, to see it that way. But if you look at household debt metrics for Canada versus other countries, yeah, we're one of the highest in the OECD. It's horrible. Like it's it's horrific. You know how much debt we have here. So it, again, like maybe the the challenge with us in Canada, it doesn't originate in Canada. It, it comes from elsewhere, and it, it doesn't mean that the market has to fall off, but. And keep the that. amount of debt that's been accumulated by households, it, you know, some people say, yeah, but it's mortgage debt, you know, it's just <laughs> that they swap out and all that's fine. But I mean, if, if that's the case, you know, you would just continue to bore forever. But there is a point in time, it's as we said earlier, you're going to start shaving the, the coin and things like that. <laughs> well, it's not just, it's also not, so Canada, I mean, you know, I have different charts that you guys can see, but you know, there's what, 30 odd, 36 odd countries in the OECD. I think Canada has the fourth or fifth highest mortgage debt to GDP ratio, but that's only sort of half the story. That, that's like the stock of debt. The other part is the flow. So the interest burden or the debt servicing costs are going back high, back to all time highs, excuse me. So you have, let's, and that's, it's, it's sort of the compounding effect of much, much higher debt servicing costs, e.g. how much interest you have to pay on the debt you owe, plus the much, much, much higher debt. And if you do get, you know, the things that Steve's mentioned, I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, like I said, it's not my, it's not my lane. So it's well, I mean, household, so household debt service ratios are, can be measured. So you, either way, you're going to hit like a record all-time high in the next couple months. Uh, but it can be split up into between interest payments, so household debt service as a percentage of interest, and then principal. So interest payments are obviously blowing out, and yeah. uh, principal is just going like this because obviously you have all these like mortgages that are literally like people are barely paying their interest, let alone any principal. So. Um, but yeah, I think that's a great place to kind of wrap it up. I think, you know, ultimately you and I think the three of us are still in the camp that the next 12 months are going to bring a lot of volatility. And uh, Keith's got his tinfoil hat on calling for the great reset. So <laughs> there you have it. Aliens, great resets. It's all coming to fruition. <laughs> and that's, that's a wrap.